At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Back to the scouting reports. Danny and I watched actual basketball film, which is always nice to do in these times. And time to talk about Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. Give us uh, some of the key physical stats uh, on Edwards. The most recent measurements I could find on Edwards, 6'5", 225, with a 6'9", wingspan and an 8'4", standing reach. He was a top five recruit, uh, three on Rivals, four on ESPN, freshman in college this past, this this now completed season. Um, he, uh, the, the the basic stats, uh, 20.8 PER, 520, 52% true shooting on 30.4 usage, um, and we'll go through the other ones later. Yeah, where it starts uh, with Edwards, the big appeal here is that physical profile, the 225. I mean, that guy is rock solid. And the wingspan is pretty big. I, I think he has enough size, in theory, even to play some small forward, if that's what you need him to do. He, he's played more as a shooting guard, though. And his athleticism definitely can get up for some big dunks uh, when he's uncontested has a pretty quick first step when he gets going pretty good change of direction with the ball pretty good acceleration in two or three steps uh, as well if he's running the floor or going for a back cut he he'll get that first step but then he continues to accelerate uh, as he explodes to the basket so he doesn't necessarily create the most amount of separation right away but if he gets going in a straight line he can continue to accelerate and outpace guys getting to the rim yeah the, the way i phrased that was if he gets a shoulder past a guy he does really really well yeah yeah so and one foot jumper two foot jumper both of those uh, look pretty good for him uh, i wouldn't say in terms of lateral quickness sitting down in a stance he's unbelievable but a, a lot of times his technique is so raw that it's hard to see whether he has that ability or not every once in a while he'll move his feet in and it'll look pretty good um what do you want to start with on him the way I like to think about guard prospects is you kind of split it into two two elements. One is, how do they do with the ball in their hands? And then how do they do without the ball in their hands? And so, because those are two different roles and you, you, you and, and some players, you know, can be complementary in one and do the other, you know, all, all that. But one of the first things I noticed with Edwards was that I didn't like the film nearly as much as I hoped when he had the ball in his hands. The pull-up jumper, to me, just wasn't there. He, he Sometimes he's too zealous with it he did the form doesn't look great and when he gets the shoulder yeah absolutely uh, by all means i 
I could see that. But in the like, if if you were to give him the reins, even if for me, if it was on a second unit, I don't think he has the type of vision. He can do the basic stuff. Like if he draws help, he can make the basic pass to a guy. I, I have I have full faith that he can do that. But I didn't see a ton of the like passing guys open or the real creation, which even guys that now at the NBA level, you know, like even secondary creators, I like to see more vision from them. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Edwards' jump shot because I, I think that's a, an important aspect for him. Certainly like to take a lot of them. A lot of what he was doing was pulling up off the dribble from pretty deep out to, not even necessarily at the college three-point line, but out to the FIBA line, the NBA line, able to create the separation to get that shot off. But the numbers were not particularly encouraging. Under 30%, 29% from three. In the half court on jumpers off the dribble, he shot 29%. And in the half court on catch and shoots, he shot 29%. And I, I didn't, he definitely is not a pure shooter, but he means he was 77% from the free throw line. But I thought that his form in particular off the dribble kind of broke down. His right elbow looked like it would fly out. He didn't have a particularly consistent release. I thought he looked better, even though the numbers were not great on the catch and shoots, hopping into a quicker release. The elbow doesn't seem to fly out quite as much as free throw form as well. The elbow doesn't fly out quite as much, but he took a ton of these jumpers. He didn't have a ton around him at Georgia, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, that's the state of his jumper right now. Do you project that to change at all? I think it could get better. I mean, he, he the free throw, the three free throw form is there, but but he took more three pointers than free throws. So it's sometimes we use free throws as a proxy for okay. Well, you don't have enough of a sample with the threes and all that. And I mean, you still want to you want to build a larger sample with the two of them together. But it isn't you know it isn't as as a proxy in this sense because he took more threes. I don't love the form. It's it's not herky jerky. It's not there isn't a hitch like MKG or anything. But it it just doesn't look great. Like he has some one of the things you actually keyed me on with various players around the NBA is look at the misses and he has some just truly bad ones. He has some where it's not even that close and that's always really concerning to me. It's not like oh a little a little form tweak or anything like that and you'll start to see the the near misses go in. I mean there there are some some pretty bad ones and I think the pull up game is a little bit more more limited in terms of projecting where it's going to go I you know there are players who have improved that but I wouldn't project that as much as him improving as a catch and shoot guy that you know you can we can work on reps you can get that in and also the pull-up game if you're not good at shooting that shot then you're probably not going to get as many opportunities unless you do it in the off seasons yourself and I my instinct there is so 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 then if if, the, if you don't believe in the pull-up which I don't then you're probably not going to have him on ball as the primary you know creator that much and he's two guard through possibly the three sides so that's not catastrophic or anything like that. But I, there were elements of his off-ball game that I liked. He had some really nice cuts. Oh, but but what cracked me up was at first I saw you know like when you're watching the film and it's randomized, you see you see some nice ones. And you're like, oh man, he just has such good timing. And then you see a couple where he just runs straight into another dude. And you go, oh maybe it was just the order that I saw these in rather than just he's really good at this normally. But his physical tools. Um, and one of the things that I liked most about Edwards was the way that he can attack when an opponent is off balance. Most notably as a driver, he's far better as a driver than as a shooter. And so that can fit in well when he becomes a cog in the machine rather than being the role that he had at Georgia, which I don't think he could do at the NBA level and succeed. But most players don't. Well, that's troublesome to me because 
the reason that you're drafting him in the range that you're talking about right is because you think that he has the chance to be an on-ball superstar so let's uh i think and, and we'll get to this idea of like you know what he realistically could be what is that best case scenario right i mean i do talk about this a lot that the draft is a chance to get a superstar number one that's the most important thing that you can do and i certainly support going for higher upside prospects and we'll have to get to we'll talk more about some of the specifics of his game but we'll have to get to the question of whether we do believe he has that upside or not first though let's take a little break so man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us you mentioned his passing i thought that it definitely was limited in the half court a lot of tunnel vision his shot selection was atrocious and maybe he might have the worst shot selection of like any player i've ever evaluated like it is that bad some of these three pointers that he's taking off the the, i I had a moment in the first 10 minutes of film i was watching with him because what i do is i watch film before i check any stats is i just I, I went, he's so confident in his jump shot. I, I have to, I wonder, I, I think I wrote in my stats, how is his jump shot going to be? Because he's so confident in it. Then when I looked at the stats, I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah, it's not like he's like Trey Young here, right? Where he's been, he's not a natural shooter of that ilk. I mean, Trey definitely took some very difficult attempts, but also Trey's doing it out of pick and roll. He's doing it in transition. He's drawing the defense to him. You know, Edwards is not doing that. And he's doing a lot of ISOing too. It's not even necessarily out of pick and roll either uh, that he's taking these shots. And I mentioned your bad misses. I, I agree with that. Or you mentioned that his makes also are not really that good looking either. You know, it's not like these perfect swishes uh at all when it does go in for him so it's really now i was hoping when i looked at the stats because i thought he as i mentioned that he looked better in the catch and shoot and that maybe the low numbers were just a function of the terrible shot selection but the fact that he wasn't really hitting on the catch and shoots that well either was a, a concern for me yeah uh to me the i the the cachet for edwards at least in the college film starts in to a degree ends in transition he was he could be a real force there uh the the synergy stats 1.2 points per possession as a transition score 1.4 if you include him as a passer those are both very strong even for 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 a college player and he remember he's playing at a major college and all that and with edwards something that struck me throughout the film with him was there were times where his his whether i don't know if it was motor or energy or whatever was lacking but i gave him the benefit of the doubt a little more than most guys because of the workload he was shouldering so edwards at georgia 30.4 usage 18% assists. That's a lot for a guy to take on. And so there were times, I mean, we'll talk about his defense in a little bit, but even in transition, like there were times that he didn't chug as much as I thought he could. And I and I hope that being a more normal part of the offense will allow him to just push a little harder in those circumstances. Because if you can make that, so in, in college, that was 21% of his 21% of his possessions if you can ratchet that up he's good at that and he can be more of a game breaker there then I think the overall efficiency will will go up materially but you can also say that same thing about anybody I thought his passing was really really nice in transition much better and um you know it's easier to make passes in transition because you know it's a three on two or whatever but I mean he had this one ridiculous pass uh, against Michigan State like a bouncer between three guys he threw some nice passes I I think I wrote about that pass because it was I I think I wrote it was the best pass I saw from him uh I mean it was one of the better passes that I've seen in a long time actually he threw it from behind half court and bounced it between about four guys um and then he celebrated by doing like the seeing eye goggles for about 15 consecutive seconds afterwards. Uh, he does like to celebrate when he does something good. 
so that's not as prevalent in the half court to be sure i mean he's not a pick and roll operator by any means his handle is not particularly advanced he can throw some left-handed passes every once in a while but I, I would consider his handle to be relatively rudimentary it doesn't have to be that good because he has the physical ability I, to I, explode I, I wrote it run one point does he have any shake does he have any moves but what he does he does reasonably well yeah i mean he's got the in and out dribble and he crosses over that's kind of about well it. and what's weird is his crossover is more to set up a step back than to to get by a guys for a driver even though he's a better driver than step back guy yeah getting to the rim for him once uh, uh, i i noticed i think when he went to his left, his first like six shots going towards his left, either with his left hand or going up on the left side of the basket, he missed those. Uh, but overall, uh, effective around the rim. I wouldn't say he has a great feel for finishing. He doesn't get particularly good extension. And guys do kind of bounce off him. But, he, you know, he's not an advanced foul drawer necessarily, uh, I would say, either. I didn't really see great finishes over people when the bigs uh, were in position and, and getting verticality. On occasion, it can look good for him when he slows down, goes into the Euro step. Uh, I, I think that's something that's really with his strong body. A, a lot of those guys, when they slow down a little bit more and just use that body to create space, it can start looking a lot better for them. And, and when he did that, I, I thought it was... Uh, it was more impressive. I mean, he can't get up for some big dunks. He had like a couple of nasty windmills and transition, but it never really like got up and dunked on anybody. It's hard to do in college, but nonetheless, I didn't see a number of finishes where I was like, oh, this is a really impressive finish necessarily. You know, I, I don't think the finishing craft and touch is anything special but especially at the college level just because he is so big and so athletic and so strong he's able to finish at a pretty decent rate not an outstanding one yeah a couple of stats offensively that i wanted that i wanted to mention he i was really surprised initially that his the pick and roll efficiency stats were were higher than i expected because of the, prof, the like the proficiency level that i had seen a part of that was that his teammates shot 50 percent on shots out of his passes and pick and roll and some of it was them just making shots it wasn't like he made him passing them open or anything like that but then the other part was there were a hundred possessions where he shot he took a shot out, out basically out of a pick and roll he had 40 points on 60 pull-ups and then he had 29 points on 26 drives so and then the other ones were runners and everything else like that so i was like that, i thought that was a good encapsulation of the pull-up game versus the drive game yeah the floater is awful he was five out of 22 on floaters and didn't really see he would almost shoot like a jump shot off of one foot from just inside the foul line that really just it looked extremely i mean we're not talking about like the steve nash one-legger or the curry one-legger i mean it, it looked extremely awkward it did not particularly go in for him either uh i do think that there's could be a little bit of something there with him as a post-up guard it, they did do some of that for him yeah, he had th like, that was his best passing in the half court yeah and i mean you know they were fronting there's never any space in college it was hard to get the ball into him but certainly he looked like he could be physically dominant there he has a little bit of a jump hook he could again if he acquires the craft to kind of create the space in the mid-range but his mid-range jumper did not go in and he, i think he was also being encouraged to just take more threes instead of mid-rangers uh, just to be a little bit more analytically friendly um but he might look a, a little more comfortable if he concentrated on that shorter mid-range shot at, at least as hard because i think he can get pretty good looks there he's just got to actually make them um uh, with that big body what, what else is there to say uh, about his offense so one thing that i noticed 
about, especially in the half court, and some of this is, you know, surrounding talent and everything else, was just he didn't do much laterally, you know, like he was more just going in a line. And so I, I had, a, I had a, a sentence in this that was like, if there was a five foot wall in front of Anthony Edwards, it feels like he'd pull up or go through the wall instead of going around it. And some of that might just be personnel and everything else like that. But it, again, that goes back to the like shake and moves. You know, he does have that, that one crossover and a little bit of an in and out, but he just didn't really do that a lot. He didn't take the opportunity to like, sometimes you see guards realize that big men don't move well laterally. And so they try to get him out of rhythm and do things like that. And Edwards, I never even really saw him try that sort of thing other than those kind of that, that crossover, which was more around the free throw line. It wasn't like around the basket trying to work his way to a spot. The way I termed it for him was that he's kind of a made player to this extent he's not a natural basketball player i mean he has he's a this incredible body but he kind of looks like he's just like hitting buttons on the controller at this point as opposed to really being reactive with his moves a lot of it seems premeditated Uh, there's not really a flow he's not necessarily stringing moves together the handle isn't necessarily tight enough for that uh he looks a little bit stiff out there he's not definitely not a natural basketball player other than just from uh, to look at him yeah he does he does look like a natural basketball player but uh i think overall his feel for the game is not incredibly impressive i would say it's below average at this point um you know he'll he'll make plays as a cutter every once in a while but he's not really the only time he would really move off the ball is if there was a specific play called for him to come off a screen or something uh you know he, he wasn't making cuts to the rim off of other guys penetration uh he also did very little on the offensive glass which you would hope for a guy his size he could do more there he was playing at the two most of the time so i think his job was to get back on defense but 2.4 percent offensive rebounds for a guy with his athleticism he he wasn't other than in very rare spots he doesn't really impact uh in the floor game yeah well here let's let's take another quick break we can talk about his defense oh boy anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, so you said, oh boy, before we took a little break here. You thought it was like that terrible? The game that, that really turned it for me. So I I, I, tried, I watched the game where they played at Florida. Um, It was the second game that I watched. I wanted to see, you know, Scotty Lewis and a few other guys too. And... What I noticed watching Edwards on every possession was how little he moves. And some of that might have been scheme, but he's yeah. just... They did play a lot of 2-3 zone. So I, I'm guessing they did in that game. I didn't they watch did, that they game. Did it. They did for sections that game. But it's just, like even when he like was supposed to be like chasing his guy around a little bit, he just didn't usually most yeah. of the time. I mean, they, they did a lot of switching too. They did. Yeah. He, he reminded me a lot defensively of Harden and that he was most interested in getting steals. He would try to do the things that involved him not having to move a lot and not having to move quickly. But with Edwards... I think the capability is there. Like if you asked him to do more, if he's doing less on offense, I think he could be better. But just the the other thing that, that Edwards did, which drove me completely crazy, might have been some of the two three, is he did a lot of the helping without helping stuff where he comes off his guy in the opposite corner just to be closer to the basket. He's not actually affecting anything around the basket. And then the ball gets to his guy who hits a three. And having a bunch in the Florida game, they were pretty good at moving the ball. And it drove me completely crazy because the whole point of leaving your guy is to do something. Thing. And there were a lot of times where he left his guy to do nothing. But when he moves his feet, I thought it actually looked pretty good. Like there were there, like there were some good there was some legit good defensive footage with him when he was engaged. Yeah, we could talk about his one on one. Getting back to what you're talking about, the help. I mean, and a lot of players do struggle with this. But I thought, and you hit on this a little bit, his ability, his understanding of you know when to help and when to stay with the shooter. I thought that he just didn't really help enough either. If he was on the backside of a pick and roll, you know, he wasn't getting in there. <laughs> You know, sticking sticking his nose in the way that you need to and he certainly didn't have any ability to get in and then do a hard close out and run his man off the line the way that you have to do you know pretty much every possession in the nba you have to do something like that defensively so he didn't necessarily have have that ability uh he had on the season 32 games and 18 blocks i watched all of the ones which were available on synergy i think only two of those were help blocks i mean he did have one just crazy block where he came across uh got the block with his left hand so pretty much all of his blocks were on the ball he did have one at the end of the smu game where he blocked a guy who was going for a game tying shot that looked pretty good he's able to make some plays on the ball against smaller guys he he'll get guys with that left hand uh but you know, I don't think he has like great timing as a shot blocker. That doesn't have great help instincts. Steals and, were a little. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and another like so he had some nice recovery plays where like his guy got a little bit past him, he got back and got the block. And those are you know it's positive that he stuck with it. But the problem is, is you know whether you're in the SEC or you're in some other conference, the talent level increase is so much athleticism and talent is so dramatic that it's a lot harder to get to recover. You know, like if, if, if your guy gets past you, you're a lot more screwed in the prof- at the professional level than you are against random team X in college. And that was something that it was positive that he did it, but it's concerning if that's how you're getting your blocks and stuff. On the steals, talk about steals front, yeah. yeah, yeah. He 43 steals in 32 games, which is not terrible. I mean, it's not impressive. I mean, he would make plays sometimes. A lot of times it would be where he'd kind of be on the ball and some would try to throw a pass and he would be able to jump up it and deflect it if someone threw a long looping pass a lot of times in transition he could break on the ball and get it it wasn't generally just in the course of performing his normal 
help responsibilities. He would get out in the passing lanes as well. I, I know what you said about Harden. I don't necessarily see it quite that way because I do think he's he's able to break on the ball a little bit more quickly. I mean, he's got more athleticism than than Harden. And I thought as an on-ball guy, he's got much more lateral quickness. I mean, maybe you're talking about more about the effort level, but Eff- um, effort level and yeah. that he's most excited about reading passes and getting steals. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't say he has a great. You know, Harden has a great understanding for that stuff and anticipation. Yes. I wouldn't say that he necessarily has that. So, and then on the ball, his technique I thought was not very good in isolation. He, you know, he could really move his feet every once in a while, but his first instinct was if he was felt like he was getting beat at all, it would just be to like reach out and put two hands on the guy. He'd have to break himself of that habit. Um, every once in a while, he could get over a screen reasonably well, but it wasn't amazing at that. As I mentioned, they also did a, a fair amount of switching if it, uh, one through four. So he wasn't in that situation that often. And we didn't really see much of him in the post. I mean, so in theory, he has the physical ability to do a fair amount of switching one through four with his strength. Pretty pretty good length. Um, defensive rebounding wasn't particularly impressive. 15% defensive rebounds was, I mean, I really think of him, I almost am comparing him more to small forwards than shooting guards because he has that type of athleticism. That's what you would expect from him. So his effort level on the glass was not particularly amazing overall what did you think uh, of his effort level i would say it was it was lower than i hoped but the virtue of the the magnitude of his role i think could help justify that something that was weird to me like you saw it more in transition like when he was engaged and when he was doing it it looked good but then there were other times where it was just a little bit flat and some of it was also just that lack of feel that it takes him a beat longer to kind of figure out what's going on and so maybe that's not a motor thing it's a recognition issue and like there were there were plays where he got the ball I would get angry where like the rebound would get to him or he grabbed the defensive rebound and then it would you'd be sitting there for like, you know, half a second to a second, just be like, Why isn't he going? And then but then you know, he gets 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 the train moving and does a pretty decent job. Yeah. Not a quick decision maker. No, no, not a quick decision maker. And and so I and then the other part of that that concerned me was he you know, when he when he was looking for it, he had good passes in transition, but he would often start those first couple beats when he had the ball in his hands and was like pushing it up court he wouldn't have his head up enough and so like you compare him to like the probably the extreme of a pick in that range recently would be their Trey or Lonzo ball like those guys is, and they're more natural point guards obviously all that but if you want him to have the ball in his hands one of the great things would be if he could do those hit ahead passes and he didn't see that kind of pass enough he was good at you know find, creating a seam finding a seam and making making a, a reasonable read but you would love to see him the mentality that comes with having your head up earlier so what I want to talk about now is just what is he supposed to be right and i think a lot of people would say he has this this great upside right just this great body great athleticism some shooting ability at least he, you know he had games where he got really hot i mean the, the yeah the florida the game, yeah go ahead the florida game that i was watching uh for the first half of that game he was the best player on the floor and he was uh four or five on threes 18 points in the first half and like when when the, the three's going in, he looks unstoppable because you're figuring like how the hell how the hell are you going to handle this? Because then you have to get a little closer. It opens up the drive game. So yeah, I mean that the first half of that game was a pretty solid proof of concept against a very good team. Yeah, and, and the second half of the Michigan State game where he put up 33 points in 16 minutes. Yep, it was uh, was pretty insane. Uh, but and a lot of that was just crazy three point shooting as well, just like awful three pointers that were going in. But 
yeah, if you have enough of those games where you take enough of those shots, then it, you're going to have every once in a while a game where you look really hot. But I mean, it, it was that was one of the more ridiculous shooting displays I've ever seen in a college game. But overall, I think it would not be smart to assume that that's something that can become normal for him. It, it seems pretty unlikely based on the 29% overall and just kind of the way that it looks for, for him coming out of his hand. And, and as you mentioned about the bad misses, as well so what is he going to be let's say everything works out for him right and you're the what is the scenario in which he becomes an offensive centerpiece like who who is he like that has been an offensive centerpiece in the last 15 or 20 years i honestly don't really know i mean it especially the jump shot would have to come around a lot more both the pull up and the catch and shoot would have to get to levels where you have to actively guard him and then theoretically i guess the idea is that if you have to guard him then the drive game opens up a little bit more but offensive centerpiece i think is a really is a really hard sell the I'm just not sure how he could be efficient with a really high usage rate. No, I I, I mean, he was so, you know, he had 20, 20, basically 21 PER, but he did it on 52% true shooting because he was a usage monster. And like, it doesn't, the profile doesn't seem like it would change dramatically. I think dropping his usage would improve his efficiency just like it does for damn near everybody. But the question you're positing is like, how do you get to, how do you do both? And I don't think the answer is that you reasonably can with it. So maybe the thought is that he could be like a really athletic version of RJ Barrett with a better jump shot that he he can actually has this big body but he can actually blow by guys he's this free train in transition he just gets going towards the rim he's going to he'll draw a ton of fouls with that he improves his craft in terms of, of foul drawing and handle learns how to make I mean I don't think he's ever going to be a spectacular passer but he learns how to make the reads that you need to make on on the pick and roll i I think ultimately though he more like you know a a worse i mean he'll be better at getting to the basket than this guy but like a worse shooting zach levine and and i shouldn't say getting to the basket i mean i should say more like being physical at the basket i mean zach levine actually has improved his ability to get to the basket but you know that's maybe the type of player i thought of i thought of one guy a lot when i watched edwards film and that was Dion waiters and waiters who had a big body I, i was going back to syracuse and then his early days in cleveland where he had some physical advantages and Edwards is a meaningfully better athlete than than yes. than Dion Waiters was. And so and and Waiters he was never an efficient, you know, an efficient player his career high in true shooting in a year where he actually played meaningful minutes was 53% and other than that year it was 51. But, you know, he did have his moments and could use strength and had, you know, could every once in a while get to some passes on post-ups and was a surprisingly stout defender in some of those, you know, weird, some of those weird OKC lineups. And I saw a lot of that. But if you, you know, if he, if you gave another run at that, and I think Edwards has more, has a more projectable jump shot, maybe than Waiters does. And at least like he could probably be in a more conducive environment, maybe than some of those early Waiters teams. But that was kind of, that was the guy who I, whose game screamed to me. Yeah, the other cop would be Andrew Wiggins. Sure. Uh, and uh, the Wiggins that we know, not the Wiggins that people, uh, what people thought he was going to be, not me, but uh, thought he was going to be coming out of school. And, you know, Wiggins is more small forward size, bigger wingspan, probably a, a little bit more pop, doesn't have that same strength. Wiggins got to the line a, a fair amount when he was in college. Um you know, I, I think I like Edwards' potential defensively a little bit more due to that strength, but the similar kind of lack of feel 
Wiggins' jump shot looks a lot better to me than I agree. Uh, Edwards does. You know, Edwards may be a more passionate player than Wiggins. Uh, maybe he'll work harder. He'll work harder on his body. Um, you know, I, I think obviously to me you you better feel, and I haven't read that much of the background on him, but you better feel that he is just this incredibly hard worker and who is just going to make himself into a player because he has these physical skills. Um, he has to get so much better. Like every yeah. player does in order to be a, a star or whatever in the NBA, but the 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 jumps that he has to make in in certain areas are the type of thing that you can't do without insanely hard work. Yeah, and he's just he's not a natural basketball player. You know, I, I think that that to me is, and you can get away with that the bigger you are. But as a two guard, and you better just have really good feel. And I'm not talking about necessarily even feel in terms of like being a great passer or great at anticipating on defense i'm more talking about feel of just like this is what i'm supposed to do with the basketball i can react i've got a good handle i've got a good feel for finishing around the rim i have a good understanding of what i can do with the ball i'm not going to go into a huge crowd of guys with no plan that kind of thing he's not he doesn't have like a great feel for scoring i don't think he's a natural scorer even not to mention his feel in other areas you know he's well, not that's- that's yeah. why, to me, the Levine comp isn't as much as I felt. I think Levine, even though he takes some bad shots, I think he has a better sense of like what works than than yeah. Not, now Levine obviously was uh, when he was in college and he was on a good team. He had a lot of, a lot of guys around him, but he. he was was you know i mean he probably had a worse freshman year than edwards right i think so yeah um and and so like the the thing you you brought up the questions about whether he could be the straw that stirs the drink and i i share all of those concerns but what freaks me out more with edwards and why i think i will end up lower on him than at least the consensus i'm seeing is that i really don't like his game as a complimentary player that if he can't be that guy the jump shot becomes a bigger issue and yeah if you could afford to have Edwards is your fourth or fifth best offensive player more power to you like that but the problem is if that's what you're looking for you want somebody who has a more reliable jump shot and who could do other things who could be a better defender that's the, what you're prioritizing in that spot is not what Anthony Edwards did and incidentally that was one of the problems with the unwaiters is that you couldn't you couldn't sl- scale him down as well unless unless he does these other things right which right now he doesn't and that's not a guarantee that it, that Edwards will never be a good catch and shoot guy or anything like that but that's what freaks me out is that if he's not the lead guy you could go so many other directions and just have players who make more sense yeah now you could say hey if this guy gets it defensively he can switch across four positions i mean maybe he's not gonna be a playmaker but he's gonna be someone who can hold up well with that strong body and his so you, are you thinking defensively like maybe like eric eric gordon that type of that comp- yeah i mean i don't think his feet are that quick you know maybe like a wes matthews type you know a little bit more athletic wes matthews um but you know wes obviously really competes at a at a high level um you know he would have to learn that but you know maybe you could uh and then his i don't think his catch and shoot is hopeless agreed you know the the stats were pretty rough i mean he's not you know if he can get rid of the i mean he definitely is just an absolute chucker right now you know kind of antoine walker-esque type of chucker you know that some of these shots made me think of him and 
so maybe on offense he could be a good transition guy cutter maybe get some quick post-ups every once in a while be a catch and shoot guy run some pick and roll on the back side every once in a while uh but I, I mean you you think about it and you mentioned this he has not only he just has so many areas in which he would need to improve even to get to be this high level kind of role player and so i, I think like the the rj barrett comparison the more i think about it is somewhat of an interesting one for him uh, i mean he's a better outside shooter than barrett for sure but i like barrett as a passer and rebounder a lot more oh sure yeah and i think uh, barrett is a better feel he plays harder he, he also just has more of a natural scoring feel i mean it's just that barrett doesn't have the ability if he can't overpower guys he doesn't have the physical ability to really you know, make a huge difference so you put barrett in edward's body and then you might have something you know so uh but but Still i wouldn't have you, a jump yeah. shot but you'd have something <laughs> Yeah, so, but I, I mean, I, I do think, you know, just your hope is that Edwards is not a natural. You know, he didn't come up through a lot of the same high level AAU system. He wasn't playing USA basketball. He does have these physical tools. Maybe he can continue to round into form, but he just looks a little bit too stiff with the ball for me to think like this is this is a high level offensive player. If I think if he had this kind of game, but he was the the size of like a big three, then maybe I'd feel a lot better about him. So uh, yeah, I, I guess it's just many people are talking about. Oh man, he's got this amazing upside with his athleticism and his strength in that body. But I just I don't think that he has that. He just doesn't have the level of smoothness that you see from a, a big superstar. And there is a possibility that I could be wrong. But I just like what he. I struggle to think of players like him who have succeeded. You know, I thought the waiters comp was a pretty good one. Um, but it's just if you're gonna make a living as a six four guard and you're one of the primary guys, I mean, you better have that ball on a string. You better have really good feel. You better be a natural because you can't get by in the NBA. You know, I mean, unless you're gonna be a Tony Allen type or something. Uh, at that size without really being just a natural player or you know an excellent shooter. So I don't know. Any other? thoughts on him i'm looking through my notes to make sure i mentioned everything that i thought was important no i i well another thing is uh i i got a little frustrated in the florida game that it, some of the, some of the reason he got hot not on three-point shooting was just florida not knowing how he liked to drive and just not getting into position and i i can imagine that nba teams especially if they don't respect edward's jump shot will be able to do those basic scouting report things pretty well you know driving driving certain directions better more comfortable with his hand all that type of stuff which college teams for various reasons aren't aren't strong at yeah i guess it's just it's possible that he could be this big superstar but i think the odds of that are exceedingly low and he just has so many areas his effort level his technique defensively his feel for the game defensively yeah to one thing i want to mention is that because of the feel and all that type of stuff to me you, you brought up the chance of his being a star or low i think his bust potential like the chance that he's straight up like not a starter like a fringe rotation player in the league is very high not just for a player at his draft position but just for a player in general like a lottery player in an average year just because if it doesn't work it's so hard to fit him in i have another comparison for you josh jackson now edwards has a better jumper again than jackson he didn't shoot 57 percent from the foul line uh but another it just in the sense of all right if this guy doesn't work as our uh, as an on-ball creator if he's not efficient enough there then what the hell is he yeah and and, and jackson at least played a lot harder i thought uh, than edwards and i thought jackson was more intuitive like as a passer and some of the other yeah. stuff he, he didn't he didn't always want to pass but he at least kind of could um, um but but yeah i mean it, it's it is really interesting that it's hard to come up with, with an analog 
for him. And, and and there are players who it's hard to come up with an analog who are successful, but you have to be able to do certain things well to be the exception or be so good at what you do that you're undeniable. And I don't see undeniability in Anthony Edwards. You also just wonder about the mentality of someone who could take this many terrible shots. And yeah, you know, I, I guess he, maybe it's just he would get hot just enough and they had just little enough around him that, you know, he has that Michigan State game and he's just constantly chasing that dragon of trying to get back there. But man, I mean, I just like a third of his shots were just these like horrendous three pointers. I'm just like, I, I can't like who takes these? Uh, and, you know, they weren't going in enough for me to to be well, that so let's, let's say you could win. Let's say you could wave a magic wand and take out the worst 15% of all the shots you take. Those just get excised. Do you think there's like a 34% catch and shoot guy in there? Yeah, I think that's I think that's possible, especially with the 77% from the line. Uh, and, and maybe it could even get better. Like I said, I, I thought it looked okay for him. He's just, he's got to tighten up his shot. He's got to get a lot more consistent. Uh, like it, it is possible. And then if he can do that, then, he, but is he going to have the mentality to accept a role? Uh, I'm not sure about that, given some of these shots that he was taking. I mean, it really, yeah, it was just incredible. I've I I can't remember the last prospect I looked at where I was just like, really, you're you're gonna take that shot? You're, like, you could make an argument with Edwards that he would be much better off. This is again a parallel with Dion Waiters going to a better team because then he would have to accept that immediately that if he ends up on just a a, a, a talent poor squad, uh, granted, I don't think there's any team that's bad enough where they're going to be relying on him the way that the Knicks relied on RJ Barrett for stretches of this season, unless he goes to the Knicks heaven forbid. Um, and but it's. I would love to see him just basically have to accept a smaller role because that's the only way he's going to play. Like, I think that would be a good thing. And I don't, you know, he's not somebody that I've ever dealt with in person. He's, I haven't really gotten any intel on it. He might be a good kid who just thought that was the only way to keep his team afloat. Like, it's entirely possible that considering that Georgia team didn't have, it didn't look like he was taking away from other guys who were good, um, that it could be there. But again, it's always, it's always hard to assume that because most of the time it happens, it continues. All right, well, we can wrap up here. Stay tuned for the Coronavirus Daily Podcast. It's a solo edition for me that also is available on its own feed, but it is not on iTunes or Spotify yet. So if you're listening here, you can stick with this and... I'll let you know when it's up on iTunes. It takes a few days to do that, but uh, please listen to that. We appreciate it. You can also support us uh, at patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Anything you want to talk about before we go, Danny? I have a piece at The Athletic on 2020 free agent wings. There are so many that I split into two, uh, one on kind of the top end guys and one on the lower end. And I think that's going to come out on Tuesday, might be Wednesday. So keep an eye out. All right, that'll do it for Dunked On, but stay tuned for the Coronavirus Daily Podcast in just a second here. Welcome on to the Pod Solo Edition today. I want to ask all of you to please let your friends know about this new podcast if you're finding it useful. We are not ad-supported at the moment, but should you want to contribute, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue is the best place to do that. When Ben is on, I'm actually paying him to be on. I think he's an important voice to have here, but it would be nice to get some support in that endeavor. And a reminder, if you're listening to this on Dunked On, we're going to be moving this over to its own feed. It's there already. I I tweeted about it. It should be up on iTunes within the next couple of days. And at that point, we will move this exclusively to its own feed. We'll start today with the unbelievable news that Boris Johnson is now been moved to intensive care. Downing Street says he was moved at around 7 p.m. local time. 
as a precaution he remains conscious he is not on a ventilator and that's very good that he's not on a ventilator because we've seen some stats ranging from 50 percent if not higher than that mortality rate for people who do go on to a ventilator johnson of course is receiving the absolute best care i'm sure they are moving forward in precautionary fashion faster than they would maybe with most patients that's just the way these things work Uh, the quote over the course of the afternoon the condition of the prime minister has worsened and on the advice of his medical team he has been moved to the intensive care unit at the hospital he has asked foreign secretary dominic robb to deputize where necessary so certainly uh, we hope that mr johnson is going to be able to pull through the general situation in the uk they got some good news with hospital admissions having plateaued in london now one thing to keep in mind with these hospital admissions is i assume when they're talking about plateauing that's new hospital admissions per day so even if you have a reduction in the number of new hospital admissions per day that doesn't mean that the number of admissions is accompanied by an equal number of departures. You're, it's a good sign for the overall flattening of the curve, but it still means that hospitals are continuing to come under more stress because I think it's going to be some time before we'll see hospital discharges outpacing admissions. Also noting that hospital admissions are increasing in the Midlands in the UK and in the Northwest of England. Their overall stats, 41,903 people have tested positive, but that's out of a total of only 183,000 tested. And as we noted last week from that WHO briefing, it's pretty clear that your testing is not getting everyone unless you're at really below a 10% positive test rate and maybe even lower than that. Because remember, everyone who is feeling any kind of flu-like symptoms is going to be coming and wanting a test. So clearly, many, many more people have the virus as of now than that 41,000. And that's before even, and many, many more people you would think even have symptoms as of right now. That's without even considering the fact that there's a big lag time between infection and the showing of symptoms. Neil Ferguson, who is a government advisor, he was involved in the Imperial College modeling that really seemed to get the attention of both the UK and the US governments last month. He said that the lockdown is unlikely to be lifted until the end of May in Britain. He told BBC Radio that he hopes that at the end of May, they're able to substitute some less intensive measures, more based on technology and testing rather than a complete lockdown. We'll continue with some of the news around the world here first. Italy and Spain, they are seeing their daily deaths on the decline. Last Thursday, there were 950 in Spain. That is down to 637 reported on Monday. Still, though, more than 13,000 deaths in Spain. Italy reported 525. That's the lowest they've had in more than two weeks. That was uh, for Sunday. And Italy now has a a total of more than 16,000 deaths. Better news out of Denmark, they plan to reopen daycare centers and schools for children in first through fifth grade on April 15th. That is going to be their first step in gradually relaxing their lockdown per their prime minister. A draft action plan compiled by the German Interior Ministry and seen by Reuters says that, quoting from the article here, it should be possible to keep the average number of people infected below one per person, even as public life and economic life are gradually allowed to resume. That obviously is weeks, maybe months into the future, but that at least from German experts indicating a belief that a gradual resumption to normal life will be possible. And that, of course, would still include bans on large gatherings, using masks in public, all all of the 
mitigation rather than suppression, which are really more lockdown type of measures. That is the hope, at least in Germany. We'll see whether, in fact, uh, that is true or not. We've seen some examples from countries that are further along on the curve where they have had to institute some more lockdowns and they haven't necessarily been able to get back to normal economic activity. Speaking of which, I've been looking for it, but I haven't really been able to find any further news on the lockdown in Jia City in the Henan province of China, which we talked about last week. That is adjacent to Hubei province. There had been some confirmed cases there in the single digits among some doctors. They're trying to trace those contacts, but a city of 600,000 people was nonetheless locked down. I don't know whether that is still going on or not. I, I looked for information on that. I couldn't see it, at least in English. And more on the issue of the Chinese statistics, there was a New York Times report on April 2nd, somewhat similar to the Bloomberg one that we talked about, discussing the idea from American intelligence sources that the Chinese have undercounted the number of deaths in Wuhan. That New York Times report cited reporting in the Chinese news media that the death count in Wuhan could be 5,000 or more, which would be double the official number. I wasn't able to actually find those original reports. Again, my Chinese language skills are non-existent, so maybe that's part of the reason. I did see reference to reports of 5,000 urns being delivered to various crematoria in Wuhan, but I'm not sure if that's what New York Times is talking about or not. If it is, that wouldn't necessarily be the case that there were 5,000 deaths rather than 3,000, but it wouldn't shock me. As I said, I, I think these reports of the Chinese statistics being off might be sensationalized a little bit at this point based on the reporting that I've seen. I think they are undercounting. There are many reasons for that. Ben and I talked about how the same thing is happening in Italy yesterday. Same thing is happening in New York right now as well as we're going to get to because people are just aren't dying in hospitals. So despite that report, I still haven't seen anything that indicates that the number of deaths in China due to this are just like orders of magnitude undercounted. I think they're low, but it's not we're not talking about an amount that I think would change our overall perception of what's happened there in Kenya. President Uhuru Kenyatta has imposed a three-week ban on movement in and out of the four main coronavirus-infected areas. That order bars entry and exit from those four regions of the country. They already have a dusk-to-dawn curfew in Kenya. They have 158 official cases, according to the government's latest tally. Kenyatta's quote was, We are at war and we must win. We must make a stand here before COVID-19 starts to spread out of control. And obviously massive concerns about a potential death rate there with 50 million people in Kenya and only 578 intensive care beds available. And at this point now, 43 of the 54 countries in Africa have closed their borders, according to the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And more than half of the 54 countries in Africa have imposed lockdowns, curfews, or, or other types of restrictions. 51 of those countries have cases of the disease reported. The news out of New York is cautiously optimistic, but they remain in dire straits. Andrew Cuomo saying that hospitalizations overall had declined along with admissions to intensive care units and intubations, which is what it's called when you put someone on a ventilator. Again, worth noting, as we talked about in London, that this is a decline in the daily number of people going into the hospital, not a decline, as far as I can tell, in the overall number of people who are in the hospital at any given time. The overall number of cases officially reported, 130,000 now, and almost 5,000 
thousand deaths linked to the coronavirus. That's uh, about the same increase, just a little bit under six hundred as reported a day earlier. Cuomo is extending a closure of non-essential businesses and schools until April 29th. And he further noted that New York was beyond capacity in its need for ventilators and its hospitals were converting BBAP machines, which are used to treat sleep apnea, to try to make up for the shortage of ventilators. He did say that so far no one had died due to a lack of equipment, but I question that a little bit because... There are some pretty harrowing statistics from Mark Levine, who is uh, on the city council as the chair of their health committee. He noted that on an average day before the crisis, there are 20 to 25 deaths that occurred at home in New York City. In the midst of the pandemic, the number is 200 to 215 every day of people dying at home. Now, maybe some of that is non-coronavirus related. Maybe it's because the ambulance system is overwhelmed. They are calling for ambulances for things where someone would eventually go to a hospital and either be resuscitated there or pass away and that's just occurring at home because no ambulance is able to come for people or maybe those are coronavirus related deaths as well but clearly it seems like the hospitals uh, are overwhelmed to the point where this many people are dying at home Levine also noting the gruesome effects of an undercapacity at hospital morgues, funeral homes, and cemeteries. He relayed reports of families calling up to half a dozen funeral homes and finding that none of them can handle the deceased. Cemeteries are turning down most burial requests. He even alluded to the possibility that at some point temporary burial grounds in parks would have to be created. He later walked that back. And said that he was describing a contingency plan. Mayor Bill de Blasio said that the city would consider temporary burials if the space in city and hospital morgues were exceeded, but they hadn't reached that point yet. The mayor denied there were plans to use a, a park as a temporary mass grave, and his press secretary said that if that were necessary, it would do these temporary graves on Hart Island in the Bronx. And the city medical examiner's office said in a statement that they hadn't made a final decision on using temporary graves, but the morgue still had adequate capacity at this time. This is the type of stuff that happens when the curve can't be flattened enough to keep up with the, the number of cases. And I am hopeful, although there, there are other places that are looking like they're on track to be like this, but I, I'm hopeful that we, in other cases, will avoid this situation that we, we've had in New York. But if we do, and people are saying, well, you know, all these weren't necessary, all these restrictions, all this pain wasn't necessary, the tragic example of New York for what would have happened just about everywhere, I think will uh, give lie to those assessments Georgia, Florida, and Texas are three states. I know Scott Gottlieb on Twitter has been focused on those. And a report from NBC News about Houston, which had only reported in the 25-county region surrounding Houston, fewer than 950 confirmed cases. 9.3 million people live in those 25 counties. But the same day as there are only 950 confirmed cases, 996 people were hospitalized in the region with confirmed or suspected cases of COVID-19. That is the figure right now. It doesn't include people who were hospitalized or released before Monday. And those numbers, uh, according to some experts quoted in the story, suggest that a majority of the cases are going undetected here. Yes, if you have more hospitalizations than number of confirmed cases, that would probably be the case. 
And this quote from Dr. Peter Hotez, who is dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor in Houston. His quote is, we know that about one in five or one in 10 COVID-19 patients need to be hospitalized. So what you're seeing at hospital admissions would suggest that the actual number of cases could be five to 10 times higher in Texas than what's been reported to this point. And Judge Lena Hidalgo, who is the top elected official in Harris County, her quote was, the most accurate information because of the lack of widespread testing comes from hospitals. They're seeing their rates of patients go up exponentially. And her scary quote was, we know right now we are very much tracking the path that Italy or New York were on. On the masks front, the FDA says that it's going to allow imports of KN95 masks, which are an alternative to the N95 masks that we have talked about. KN95 masks are Chinese certified rather than FDA certified, but it is designed to similar standards as the N95, but is a lot cheaper and more abundant per a BuzzFeed article. KN95 masks are available for less than $2. N95s have risen to as much as $12 or more per mask. But the FDA is not certifying these masks. It is simply allowing their importation. The CDC did say, however, that KN95s had been included on a list of suitable alternatives to the N95 masks, but the FDA did not authorize it until recently. We could finish up here with a few more notes on how this virus is behaving. I know a, a lot of people have been concerned with the idea of the virus mutating, that to the point where you go through all this work to develop a vaccine and you get everyone vaccinated, but before you can do that, the virus mutates into a new form where the vaccine will no longer be effective. That is a, a huge fear for so many people. Or uh, it mutates into a new form where previously acquired immunity would no longer prevent an infection. Most of what I've seen has indicated that this shouldn't be a problem, at least in the near term. A thread from Trevor Bedford, who's a scientist at Fred Hutch, he studies viruses, evolution, and immunity. His conclusion was that he would expect to see occasional mutations to what's known as the spike protein of the coronavirus. And he bases that on the behavior of seasonal coronaviruses, which cause some of the common cold. But he expects that the process of mutation that would allow the virus to escape from either vaccines or existing herd immunity would most likely take years rather than months. And the hope is that we could get vaccinated and essentially stamp out this virus before that would take place. Another analysis from the Washington Post, they interviewed number of scientists who are closely studying the genetic code of the coronavirus and they've concluded that there's been a relative stability so far this is as of march 24th this article the thought was that it looked pretty much the same everywhere it has appeared and there isn't any evidence that there are deadlier strains the way that these mutations develop of course is when the virus hijacks the cell reproduces it doesn't do so in a perfect copy of its RNA and that then some of these mutations turn out to provide a further evolutionary advantage or change the virus's structure enough that it's not recognized by the immune system. But Peter Thielen, who is a molecular geneticist at Johns Hopkins, noted that there are only four to 10 genetic differences between the strains that are infecting people in the U.S. and the original virus from Wuhan. And he said that's a small number of mutations considering the number of infected people. 
at that point. And Thielen said, quote, at this point, the mutation rate of the virus would suggest that the vaccine developed for the coronavirus would be a single vaccine rather than a new vaccine every year like the flu. He believes it would be more akin to a measles or chickenpox vaccine that would confer immunity for a long time. And they quoted a couple of other virologists as well in saying that the virus is not muted, mutated to any significant extent. And contrasted with influenza, which you, you have to get a new flu shot every year for. And the reason that the flu is so different from the coronavirus, the flu virus has a bunch of different segments in its genome. And when two flu viruses are in the same cell, they can swap some segments. And that leads to many more combinations, many more mutations with the flu virus than this coronavirus is supposed to have. So hopefully that turns out to be true. And if we do find a vaccine or, or there is immunity conferred once people recover, that it, it could prove lasting. Mark Lipsich, who is a good follow on Twitter, He's the professor of epidemiology and the director for the Center of Communicable Disease Dynamics uh, at the Harvard School of Public Health. He writes that essentially he's not going to rely on the seasonality of the coronavirus to make a significant dent in transmission. He expects only modest declines in the contagiousness as we get warmer, wetter weather in the northern hemisphere. While many have looked at the seasonality of other coronaviruses, like those that cause the common cold, Lipsitch's belief is that because there is less immunity to this virus than to the seasonal coronaviruses, that he believes they're going to transmit, the coronavirus is going to transmit more readily than those seasonal coronaviruses. Please, the transmission could be reduced, but it's not going to stop transmission. And it seems like a big part of his conclusion is based on the history of pandemic viruses that are new has shown that they spread outside of the normal season more often than their longer established cousins because of that lack of immunity already existing in the population. And he's noted that even viruses that eventually become seasonal can continue to transmit out of season when they are new viruses. One thing that hopeful that I did take from his piece, though, is the role of children in transmitting some of these viruses. Now, it's unclear whether the coronavirus transmits as easily from children as influenza does. And he noted the idea that viruses generally may transmit much less in the summer because kids aren't at school and meeting in these groups and passing the virus around among one another. Well, since we've closed the schools, hopefully if there is that effect, it will be mitigated. Another thing I wanted to bring up that we'll probably talk more about in future episodes is the use of batch testing to increase our testing capacity. Basically, the way this works is let's say you take 10 tests or you take it. I've seen even as much as 60 in some reports and you run essentially one test on the samples on all 60 of those samples. And then if you come up negative on all 60 of those, you can give all 60 of those people a negative. If you come up positive, then you go back and you serially retest all 60 of those people to determine who actually has the virus among those 60 or 10 or, or whatever the number happens to be. Amazon uh, apparently is having discussions with test makers like Abbott Labs per Reuters about using this type uh, of batch testing and the more normal testing uh, as well. The one downside I see to that is... If you have a false negative, which that's something we're going to need to talk more about in coming episodes. Now you just cleared 60 people instead of one person. 
Last thing I wanted to talk about here is the dilemma faced by people who either had been confirmed as being infected or believed that they likely were infected and either may have gotten a false negative test or just were unable to get a test to begin with. When are you allowed to re-enter society or go back to work? We still don't know exactly what level of immunity is conferred by beating the coronavirus the first time around, although the hypothesis is that it'll be in, in similar fashion to other viruses where you have at least a year of immunity. We haven't actually been able to test that yet because this is also new. But here are what the CDC's guidelines are on when COVID-19 patients can discontinue home isolation. They have to have been fever-free for at least 72 hours without the use of fever-reducing drugs. The respiratory symptoms like cough and shortness of breath have to have improved and there has to have been at least seven days since their symptoms first appeared although the agency stresses that the decision to stop home isolation should be made in consultation with your health care provider and state and local health departments local decisions depend on local circumstances yeah i'm not sure that if you've gotten out of this you your state and local health departments have the bandwidth to just call up and say hey is it okay for me to to leave yet so that that seems uh, a little rosy when steph curry had anthony fochi on a live q a he asked this question and fochi said that the general rule is you have to have two tests 24 hours apart that are negative but he noted correctly that that's likely not going to be feasible and that they're going to have to set some guidelines of how long it takes following the diminution of symptoms before you can go out but he said we're not there yet this was a, as of about a week and a half ago but it, his quote was we don't know yet about how far out you could be shedding virus and i still haven't seen any real definitive studies on that yet all right i think we can wrap it up here ben will be back tomorrow thankfully because these solo pods are Definitely a lot harder without him, but we appreciate your support. Please tell your friends about this podcast. It will be up on iTunes in its solo form, not attached to Dunk On within the next few days. But as of right now, we'll continue running it on the end of Dunked On as well. And please give us some support at patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. And hope everyone can stay safe out there. Talk to you all next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.